My name is Gary Lelly, and my mom passed away in 2018 of lymphoma of the brain. Yo, yo, yo. This is David again. Welcome to another episode. And this is actually the second attempt with uh, my man Gary over here. So let's see how this one goes. We got a little touched up, as you say, right before the episode started. Got a little, smoked a little number, touched up. <laughs> Bing, bang, boom. That's where there we are is. right now. So I just, Dave, listen, hit record this time around. Yeah, yeah. This time we're actually going to record what? it. We're just talking to each other. We're not doing it a third time. Yeah. <laughs> At this point, <laughs> I don't know. if you're going to do it a third time, you just do the story. Yeah, there we go. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll get it back to everyone in a better way. But so let me give you the proper introduction. Uh, my man Gary is not only a businessman, he is an hilarious comedian. You can find on Instagram at Gary Lelly Comedy, correct? Yep. Um, and the only thing I do have to say is when you go see him live over here in LA, wherever he's going to perform, uh, just make sure to put your phones away and don't go to the bathroom in the middle of his set because he's going to call you out for it. So Gary Lelly, ladies and gentlemen. Gary, what's up, man? Pleasure, man. Pleasure to be here. Yeah. So I'm excited to hear your story about your beautiful mother. Yeah. And uh, I'll let you do the honors of kicking it off. Yeah. So um, my mom was my best friend. Uh, my best friend, my hero. You know, my mom was the superwoman. She could fix any issue, any problem. And, um, you know... She was like that to all of her children and a beautiful wife to my dad and a very successful businesswoman. Started her own business uh, when I was probably about nine or 10 in the bridal headpiece business. Mm -hmm. And uh, the way she got into it was uh, she started making uh, communion headpieces for the girls that were in my class as a seven, eight-year-old. Oh, that's a nice in right there. So then my mom started to get asked, would you do wedding uh, headpieces and whatnot? And mm -hmm. she was like, oh, I've never done that before. Next thing you know, she's in the business and she built an incredible business, which my sister has now taken the reins on and ran with it and doing a really nice job of it. Very nice. But uh, yeah, in 2013, she, um, she got sick with lymphoma of the brain and... Uh, we had noticed that she was just kind of walking off balance and she wasn't herself, slurring her words. And so she ended up going through, man, eight or nine rounds of chemo, inpatient, outpatient. And by 2014, the beginning part of 2014, she was great. Mm -hmm. She was kind of like back to maybe 75% of herself, which right. was good. And then we had her great for about two years. And then in late 2016, um, it just kind of started to go sideways and it took over her whole existence mm -hmm. for lack of a better term. Um, and then 2017 was just a bad downhill from, from there. And then the early part of 2018, April, uh, actually next month is two years. Okay. And uh, actually, Friday was her birthday. But uh, in April of 2018, she unfortunately passed. So what was the uh, the first impression of that? Like, obviously, that's something that comes out of the blue. So what was your first uh, take when you heard the news? And then what do you, you guys automatically go to battle mode? So, yeah. So that that's interesting. Yes, that, um, you know, when we first found out, my brother was with her. He had rushed her to the hospital and noticed that she was terribly off. Mm -hmm. And my mom was the type of woman that she would take an Advil for anything. 
Like it sounds Italian. You that that was it. It was we're gonna make some chicken soup. Yeah. And you take two Advil, you're going out to play. <laughs> You're going to go hang out with your friends. This is, you know, you're not staying in the house. You're fine. And um, so she just kind of always brushed everything off. And my mom handled everything very tough. And that was one of the things that I truly loved about my mom was she couldn't be, you know, nothing could face her. Right. But this in 2013, we knew that there was something seriously wrong. My brother brings to the hospital. They run all the tests. And sure enough... She's got it. And, you know, when I first heard about it, I just shock. You just go into this. I can't even believe that the person who's my hero is now looking at this fight. Mm -hmm. And as soon as you, I don't know, I felt like it was about a day or two. And then immediately you just go into survival mode. Yeah. And what was her attitude for? Because you said obviously she thinks an Advil or Tylenol is going to fix everything. Yeah. Did you see that hint of, oh, shit, this is real from her? Or did she kind of, you know, take that impression? I actually going through it? don't think she even believed it. Really? Because, you know, like the doctors would come in and they would say and she would go, oh, what does that mean? You know, I think that was one of the things that made my mom very successful is just being able to continue to forge ahead. <clears throat> right. And – there was I, I think she probably heard all of these things and kind of said, No, not me. And then it, you know, it became a reality. It was something that we couldn't ignore. Yeah. Um and so yeah, I think that uh it, it was it was a tough, tough situation in that regard. And how'd your dad handle it? I think he was I think we were all in shock. Yeah. We were just all in shock and we just you know, we just went into, like you said, fight mode and we started finding the doctors, the right treatment, the, you know, where we wanted to have her have all the, you know, the, the chemo. Um, and so we did, she ended up in, um, Sloan Kettering in Manhattan. Okay. And, uh, it was just, it was just a long year of the treatment. And then she would come home and then three weeks later she would go back. Did she still live a normal life or in regards to the business and whatnot or did it completely incapacitate? For about a year. For about a year first she year? was great. Yeah. The first year out she was great. I thought she had her wits about her. Um, and then it just started to slowly take her. You could just see like there were certain things. She couldn't remember things. She couldn't, you know, she would get confused. Um, you know. Right before she went into the hospital for the last time, she actually just got fearful of driving. Really? So- Well, were her motor skills off? The, it was lymphoma of the brain. Right. And so, um, yeah, it just started, like the wall started to close in on her, you know, and she she just wasn't getting enough interaction and activity and it just totally downhill from that. Did the doctors give her any- um any, they, didn't, they didn't mention anything, oh, you, it's like a two-year thing or a, a one-year thing or anything like that. So they or, said with the right treatment, they have seen patients live for about seven to ten years. Okay. But, you know, it's one of those things when you're told that, you go, you know what, we'll cross that bridge. Yeah, seven to ten years. You know, when we get there, who yeah. knows what, what, what kind of treatments will be in the next five years. Yeah. And so, um, you know, we kind of just took that and said, all right, well, at least that's better than the – having the other 
brain disease, which is glioblastoma. Okay. And that's basically a death sentence. That's you get that. It's probably like a six to nine month, and you, and it's done. What was the dialogue with you guys? Was uh, when you go into fight mode? I'm sure you know you're focused on the treatments and getting her here and there. But was there any dialogue in regards to what was actually happening? You know, emotionally and shit like that. Yeah, it was. That it, I mean, it was awful. It was just so. You guys were communicating then about. Yeah, that? I mean, we were communicating, but you know, it, we were just we were freaked out. But I think we had such responsibility that we didn't have any time to really sit there and weep about it or anything we were just like okay we got to get her better whatever we got to do and my brother my sister myself and my father were just sleeping in the hospital with her every night anytime that she had to be there for three four five days mm -hmm. we stayed the entire time she yep. never not had a person there did she give you shit for it at all she was always like leave me alone just yeah. leave because my mom was that woman also too. go out and live your life become something be successful chase everything you're after don't sit here with me but we weren't – that was just our hero. Right. So it wasn't really like a question. We were just like, well, we're going to be here. Mm. So I would stay for like a day or two. My brother would stay a day or two. My sister a day or two. My father, you know, we would always switch on and off. But she never was alone. I'm sure she appreciated that. It just sounds like something my mom would do. I feel like yeah. she'd like, get the hell out of here. I'm, I'm here. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. But you're not going to – who the hell is going to say no to that? I think also, too, parents don't want their kids to see them like that. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, I also think that my mom was a very proud woman, uh, always dressed beautifully, um, always – I remember my mom always smelling amazing. Mm -hmm. Like there's certain scents that I smell, like a perfume if I walk through, with, you know, Bloomingdale's with my wife and I smell something that like reminds me of my mom. Right. There's like an instant nostalgia for that. And uh, – but yeah, I think she was such a proud woman that she never wanted to to show anyone, even her children and her family, that there was a crack in the armor. Yeah. And I thought like that's the first time you've ever seen a crack in the armor was even possible, like you said, right? I, I saw her deal with so much shit, you know, growing up, my dad basically losing his business and my mom picking up the reins and supporting the family and still being an incredible mom and making Christmases and birthdays this major mm. deal and always being the woman that would take you and say, don't worry about it. It's going to be okay. You'll be fine. This will work itself out and always gave encouragement. So um, I, I saw my mom go through so much and never saw her fall. And this was like, wow. You could see it. You just saw it, or is it the way she was talking to you? Yeah, you could see it was. It was just taking a lot out of her. Mm. You know, my mom wasn't the same woman. She, she was always trying to be that same woman, but it was just to the point where the disease, even when it was in, we'll call it remission for a year, year and a half, my mom was a different person. Like I said, she was probably about seventy five percent of who she was, which we thought was good, mm -hmm. but there was confusion. There wasn't as much as the sharpness because my mom was like a tack. Yeah. You know, she could – she knew everything. Yeah. You I, know? I mean, I, I didn't know your mom, but I feel like do you get a, do you get what you got with your mom, would you say? Are you, are you more your oh, mom? Yeah. Or your, yeah. My dad is a very – he's a great man, quiet, reserved. Yeah, you're not quiet and reserved. No, neither is my brother or my sister. Okay. So um, my mom was very outgoing. 
built a business, network with anybody. She'd walk into a room with 50 business cards, give her an hour, they were all gone. <laughs> That's great. That's who she was. But um, my dad is just a very simple, you know, quiet, reserved, cool guy. So did he handle it with composure? Like, what was the dialogue with you and your father? Because I, I can't, you know, everyone handles it differently. But how does the husband and father of that situation handle? Well, this? that's an interesting thing because my dad and I were, for probably the majority, um, of her illness at odds. My dad and I. Mm-hmm. Uh, we would talk, we would kind of acknowledge her, acknowledge him, each other. And, um, but there wasn't really a relationship there. And, you know, I felt like my sister and my brother and I, we were taking the majority of the responsibility in the situation and making decisions and, you know, and, and again, my dad was a great guy. Right. He's, he's a great man. Like he's, would harm no one, mm-hmm. but he's just not the type of guy that takes the the bull by the horns. Yeah. So my mom entrusted her children. And so we were just making decisions that we were just like, wow. Was it amicable? I mean, I feel like sometimes when there's that many cooks in the kitchen, even if you're family, how was how the process of making these decisions when there's three of you? Believe it or not, it was pretty simple. I love that. You know, because really it was just in the best interest of her. Mm. So I think we were able to come together and say, okay, so here's the situation. She can go through this type of treatment. She can go through that type of treatment. And then we just, you know, obviously discussed it with her. And she would deflect to us a lot and go, what do you think is the right thing? Like, you know, because she was just so scared at that at that point. Um, but it was it was pretty pretty easy to talk to my brother and sister and my father. We, we knew what we had to do. Yeah. There wasn't really a, a lot of battle between that, you know, towards the end, it got a little chaotic because she wasn't able to stay in the hospital and she had already been bedridden for like eight or nine months. And, uh, so we had to have all of this like hospital equipment within her house, like, you know, a Hoya lift and, you know, wheelchair and all of this other stuff that was just insane. And so at one point she she got better, correct? Like how, she did. What was the time? Like a year later? So yeah, she had the treatment for like six months in 2013, early part of 2014. And by spring of 2014, she was good. Like they said like narcosis clear, but she's- They didn't see anything on the imaging, on the MRIs, the CAT scans. So they were like, we're really happy with, you know, how it's reacted to the treatment. Mm-hmm. And you have to come back like every, I don't know, I think it was like every 45 days to get an MRI just to make sure. And, um, you know, back in, I guess, 20, like I said, late 2016, something had reappeared. Okay. So they ended up putting her on this medication that was, it was just chemo in a pill form. And she was taking that. And I actually think that made her quite buggy for a little while because she just wasn't reacting to it good. And I think it was just too much. And, you know, it was just a thing that the disease just took over. Yeah. It was just, there was nothing that we could do to help it. Like we, we were, doctors were coming to us and being like, you know, for her to go through another rounds of chemo, it's probably, she's probably just not strong enough. 
Mm. But what, she, what about her headspace? Like, what, was she consistent the whole time in the sense that was there any like level of confidence? And then when the remission happened, like, where was her level of confidence in just where she was health wise and her ability to get better? Yeah. So she was one of the funny things is my mom always wore stiletto heels. That was her thing. And my entire, the entire time that she had to go into the hospital, like I said, was, was like four to five, maybe six days at a time, every like three to four weeks, she would walk in there in her stiletto heels <laughs> and the nurses and the doctors, wherever they would be like, Oh, well, you know, you can't wear your stiletto heels. It's against hospital regular, you know, and she would just go, Oh, fucking leave me alone. <laughs> she goes, can I, you're going to, you take all the fucking blood out of me. You think you can just let me wear my fucking shoes? That was my mom. That was the best. I mean, the best. So she kept that throughout. I mean, obviously she wore the hospital gown with the yeah, heels on. Yeah. I go, mom, what are you doing in here? And she's like, I don't give a fuck. They're not taking my shoes. That was, that's how, that's uh, how she was. very so that's, defiant. Yeah, that's an East but Coast that was Italian. a thing. East Coast Italian, but also too, that made her great in business was her defiance. Right. Like she never took shit, never took no for an answer. So I would come in like after work and my brother or my sister or whomever would be there and they had gone down to like get a coffee or something. And I walk in and I just see my mom reading a magazine in this like hospital gown or whatever. And she's got her heels on. She still got them on. <laughs> and it, I took quick notice that that was just her way of controlling something. Right. It was like, you know what? I don't know what I'm going through right now. And these shoes are my identity. It's who I am. And I'm not letting them take that away from me. And I was very proud of that. Yeah, and it's it, a big move. It's, it speaks volumes. And my mom was just, I mean, she wore nurses out. I was going to say, did she give a lot of shit to the, I feel like she has that funny attitude where she'd be giving shit to the doctors. The, doctors would come in, Dave, right? And they would go, oh, Mrs. Lally, how are you today? And she'd go, I'm here. How the fuck can I? Like, that was... <laughs> I would just go, hey, uh, doctor, I, yeah, she's, uh, she's not feeling it today. Maybe come back in like 45 minutes. Maybe, uh, that'd be a better time. Yeah. Mate, you know what? Why don't you go have an orange juice and a coffee? Come back, maybe, you know, hour later. Cause they would do that. They were like, oh, we'll just come back. They got to the point where they were like, yeah, we're fine. We'll just, we'll note it in the file and then we'll have your doctor talk to whomever, right? So it seemed like she still kept her core. She didn't, I mean, she was like a wolf in that hospital room. Anytime she would walk in and even when somebody was like, hi, how are you? She'd go, oh, fucking great. Back here. <laughs> and then, and then like every, like people would be coming in and stuff. And she'd go, look at this. Look, could you imagine? <laughs> this is where I am. This is where I am. This is what she would do. That's amazing. And I would go, I, I know mom, but well, let's just do what we have to do. And let's get out of here. Like, and she would go, I don't even think, I don't even think I have it. I don't even think I have it. I think everyone's fucking lying to me. Yeah. <laughs> she had like the hand sanitizer everywhere. I oh my time mother would do. All they do, all they do is come in here and give me medication. All they do. That's my mom. That's brilliant. So where, yeah. uh, so once you started going down again, where, what is it? Cause that's got to pull on your, your heartstrings a little bit in regards to, okay, she's getting better. And then you hear the news that she's going, you know, she's not doing so well again. Mm -hmm. What does that happen to the morale? It's a torpedo, you know, and, uh, you know, I know how tough your situation is with, with your dad. 
Um, the, you know, I, I've said this before. I, I don't know if it's if you're going to lose someone, is it better to lose them quick or is it better to have them for some more time, but you deal with more, it just lingers, you know, you just, you get to the point where you say to yourself, is it becoming inhumane mm. to, to just try and keep saving this individual? Are we even doing the right thing by them? You know? And I think we got to that at the very end in our heart of hearts. We knew you know, she needed to go to a better place. Um, so that was a decision at one point where to take her off the medication or no? Yeah. I mean, it was, I, in my opinion, um, I think if you would ask my, my dad, my brother, my sister, they may give you a little bit of a, a different answer because I had the last five, six months I hadn't moved out to LA so I was going back and forth and they were there primarily, but I just felt like the last three months that we had my mom, I felt like, I don't think she, I, I didn't think she was going to come back. So was there actually a moment of decision there where you guys had to come together and decide mm -hmm. if we're going to, do you want to end your life off the medication or do you want to continue to fight? That was like a genuine question that you guys had to discuss. We had a conversation with one of the, the head doctors of that unit there. And, you know, they basically said to us, you know, this is spreading and it's just becoming too hard to treat and she won't survive the treatment. The treatment itself will be the thing that ultimately does her in. So we made a choice to bring her home and I came back to LA and on the 23rd of April, 2018, my sister called me. I was actually, I could just feel in my heart like something was going to happen. And so I said to my wife, Linz, I go, Lindsay, let's just go spend the day together because I just don't feel like, I, fe I feel like today or tomorrow something's going to. And sure enough, we had gone to the Griffith Observatory just to hang out, get some fresh air. And I was driving home and my sister called me. And she's like, no way. She's like hysterical. And I knew, I knew you just. So was there a, you know. cause I mean, obviously you kind of, it seemed like things were going that way. Is that a, does that limit the abruptness of it when you do get that call? Cause it seemed like this is obviously something that you're just kind of waiting for, unfortunately. So at that moment when you got that phone call, was it like, was there a, it's never a smooth transition, but you know what I mean? Was that. Did you break down then or is it something like you kind of just ease into it because you're expecting it? You know, it's funny you say that because I had what I thought been preparing myself for it. You know, like, you know, I, I, I just knew, like mm -hmm. I said, for three months I was like, I don't see this turning around for the better. But even then it was still abrupt mm. because – you're wrapping your head around this thing when I think you could probably speak to this as well. When your hero and the person that you feel is just invincible is now gone. Like that was a wild thing. What does that do to your psyche of your, the rest of your life? Uh, believe it or not, it's made me stronger. How so? It's made me more fearless. It's made me more fearless in comedy. Ugh. 
like when somebody's like, oh, you're not going to call that person. I go, yeah, hold this. I'll be, you'll see. I'm going to go up on stage and just fucking roast the shit out of these people. And just not care. And not care because if you don't go at something 100 miles an hour, I think that's really what her death did for me in a very positive way was made me go at something 100 miles an hour and not give a shit because it made me go, what are you afraid of? There's nothing to be afraid of. Your mom just fought the scariest thing that you could possibly face in life. What's getting on a stage in front of 500 people, 600 people? It means nothing. It doesn't. It means nothing. You take that with you every time you go to stage? Every time. It- I still have – like. You want to do really well. You have that nervous energy. But in the back of my mind, I go, this is not scary. Yeah. I was just scary. They're people. I, I don't like them. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like the when you go see one of your shows, the audience knows you don't like them. <laughs> I think you make that very clear. And every time you start out, you get on stage. I tell them at the end of every show. Yeah. I go, you know, some of you have left. And we've had a good time and some of you haven't because you're trash. And they all come up to me after and they go, oh, my God, when you call me trash, I go, I I love it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, doing what you do, get on stage, you really got to have no fear. So it's interesting to hear how comedians, some people just really just genuinely don't give a shit. Some people don't even realize it. Or some people just battle through that paranoia. But uh, it's cool to see that how, that's how you take it and that's how you kind of get on. But before, like, where you start, when did you start doing comedy? So – I actually did – I got into comedy the first time in 2004, 2005. Okay. So, okay, so this is way before. Way, way before. before. Okay. So I go do a few open mics in Manhattan and um, I, I just caught the bug. I was like, I love this. This is awesome. Mm-hmm. And I was with a girl that I was engaged to when I was like 22, 23. And uh, I don't think I was mature enough or ready uh, to, to, to go into that yeah. and, and start doing it. So I ended up doing some like new talent showcases where you have to bring five people, but all the other comedians bring five people. So it's like yeah. 60, 70 people. It's a good, good thing. And, and I bombed like a lot. And, uh, cause I was just, you know, I didn't know what to talk to. I would just get up there and just go, Hey, anybody here with happened in the news today? I was reading this article the other day. Okay, one of those. Yeah, now I go on stage. I tell people, "Look at your face. Nobody likes it." And did you make? Love did it. you make that, that? Was that stylistic change? That have anything to do with your experience, or, or you were kind of ready to develop that persona of talking shit? It came with a little bit of age, mm-hmm. and it also came with her passing. And you think that was just the fact that your mother instilled that in you, and you saw what she instilled through her battle, or once again, it was just. Um, just the fact that you lost your mom and you realize how fragile it is. Like what exactly from it made you fearless? Is it just because she she battled it or is it just the fact that yeah. it doesn't matter anymore? Because I've, I've watched her battle so many things. You know, I've watched her be on the ropes money-wise. I've watched her be on the ropes with, you know, the house potentially going under, you know. And she fought everything. I mean, she made money. She saved our family. She was the provider. She was the one that put me through college. She's the one that is the biggest cheerleader of her, her children. And and so I felt an obligation a little bit also too to just, like I said, go out at 100 miles an hour. And so when I got back on stage because I went 
I only did it for like five, six months in 0405. It was not enough. It was a little, oh, I'll try this. Mm-hmm. And then in 2015, I went back to it and I was like, because it just kept calling me. Like I just was like, I need to go back. I need to go do it, do some open mics, do some shows. And I finally did it. And her going through what she did for sure gave me the courage to do that. Yeah, because that was right in the smack middle of it pretty much, right? It was right. Yeah. And she came to my first show. Oh, no way. At Gotham Comedy Club. And my God, I was so nervous because I invited like 25 people. (laughs) And I had not done it in 15 years, 10 years, whatever it is. And so (laughs) she comes and she's literally sitting like diagonal. I could see her like the third row right to the side. And uh, I had, by the grace of God, the most incredible night. Like, just, just I was doing crowd work. I was like, I never did this 10 years ago. Yeah. Like, I'm do- this is the first show I'm doing since 10 years ago. And I have all these people I invited, and they, were, they came up to me. After, they were like, oh, my God, that was amazing. Because I was making fun of people and stuff. It, it's almost like you just... You just did you. So much that you had your stiletto, you had your uh, stiletto heels in your hospital gown on stage right there. Exactly. You know that was my mom was, uh, y- you know my mom was like that. She was she was a ball breaker. <laughs> so, he, I kind of just took that and incorporated that in my act. Yeah. You know, like when I make fun of people on stage, and uh, that was just in our house. Yeah. My mom was like that. My mom would drive down the road and make fun of people. You know, maybe that's not the nicest thing, but well, I mean, that's I, how she had fun. You gave me a snippet of how she deals with the nurses and the doctors. Like, can I get it? It was the best. Yeah. It Wasn't there best. something you mentioned a story about you? I'm going to veer off topic a little bit in regards to the direction of the story. Uh, with the doctor in the MRI, she got a CAT scan or something. Oh, my God. Because I have to hear you say that story. So <laughs> we're in Stony Brook Hospital in Port Jefferson, New York, in Long Island. And they say to us, okay, we have to take her down for a CAT scan. Now, my mom is claustrophobic to like the thousandth degree. <laughs> so my, my brother and I are with her and uh, we bring her down. We, they escort her down to the MRI room. We go with her and there's these two Asian, very nice guys that are administering the test. And so they say to my mom, uh, you know, to make you more comfortable in the MRI because it's about a half hour and there's some loud noises, we can play a movie for you and give you headphones like this. So she's like, yeah, yeah, whatever. She's like totally – she's agitated beyond belief. (laughs) So my brother and I go, yeah, that's probably – let's do that. So they have all of these DVDs and they show her all of these DVDs. They go, which one would you like to watch? And she picks out one called Visions of Italy. Of course. And I don't even know if she remembers that she picked it. I think she was just like, yeah, fuck it, whatever. This is what I'll do. And it just happened to be that one. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it's like all these landscapes of Italy. And so they put these goggles on her that, you know, to like protect her eyes. Yeah. Oh, okay. Got it. Yeah. Got just it. To, to protect her. And then it shows the movie. Mm-hmm. And um, so they slide her into the MRI machine. And within 15 seconds, she's screaming. I mean, she's fucking... Dave, you would something was wrong. You would have thought something was attacking her in there, like there was a cobra snake inside the MRI machine. (laughs) 
So they hit the button, they stop, they come in, they're like, oh, she's moving all over the place. We can't get an accurate image, blah, blah, blah. Pull her out. And so she goes, the movie's not playing. Oh she goes, my I don't God. see anything. And then she's laying there. So now the VR mask, we'll call it for the sake of it, she could see through it. And there's these two Asian gentlemen that are literally standing over her trying to like adjust everything and get it back. And she goes, ah, oh, I thought I asked for visions of Italy and all I see is two Chinamen. Oh my God. And I just look at them and they start dying laughing, Dave. No hesitation. Nothing, not a, didn't skip a beat. And I'm thinking in my head, like, they're like, oh, this is the brain disease. And I'm going, nah, she's just racist. That, that's just. Thank <laughs> God the doctors took it lightly. <laughs> they were dying. Oh, it's amazing. They were on the floor. They go, we need like two or three minutes because we're laughing so hard. And I go, oh, you know, I'm so sorry, whatever. You know, I'm like trying to like apologize. Yeah. And my mom just sitting there like. It's like she didn't even do it to be funny. She just literally just reacted like that. She just reacted to it. Oh, my Lord. And so uh, they eventually, like after the third time, got the imaging because she would move in there. She just, she couldn't. She's, my mom was one of those people that could not sit still That's for anything. That's like me, actually. Yeah. Just on the go. Got to go. Up. Oh, I'm out. Doing this. I got an appointment. Going here. And oh, that's my mom, too. My mom. My mom's always doing something. Even when she's in the house, cooking, doing something, she's always got to be moving. Is that yeah. an Italian thing? I, you know what it is, too? I, I just think it's – yeah, probably. Uh, <laughs> I think that's a consistency. That might be the best way to explain it. It's probably an Italian thing. <laughs> they're nosy bodies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. They're yeah. into everybody's shit. Yeah. That's what they are. I mean, my mom – I see a lot of similarities um, – with my mom and your mom even because mm-hmm. like you said, take the bull by the horns. That's how my mom handles shit. And I think we take things from what I'm gathering with you, kind of take things the same way. Life continues on. We keep moving. Right. So it's nice to see you kind of adapt to that. Um, well, let me ask you a question. How do you think your mom – like when all of this happens with your dad and I think you had made mention that your one of your sisters was like early college – Yes, both my sisters are older. One just started college. And then you were 12? I was 12. Okay. How do you think your mom handled all of that now having this sudden shock in her life and now having to say, okay, but I got two girls and a young son that need me to pull them? Yeah. I mean, simply stated, it goes by just grabbing the bull by the horns. She just – she didn't dwell on it. I, she actually, I learned later that we had a conversation in Long Island. I'll never forget this. We were walked down to the river. Like she grew up, spent a lot of time around there. And, you know, it was one of the first conversations that I had with my mother that was like an adult conversation. Like, you know, we could actually speak about it considering, you know, for a while I was 12 years old just growing up. So I think she had to withhold a lot of things kind of similar to how mm-hmm. – you thought maybe your mom didn't want her – she didn't want her children to see her in a weak position. Yeah. Like my mom always hid her tears. She never yeah. – I saw her cry plenty of times. Don't get me wrong. But after that conversation, you know, she would tell me, yeah, she would – when we would leave the house, that's when she would kind of let it out. And I think that's an implication of how she handled it in a sense that she didn't want to show weakness for her children. She realized life goes on. She's got to take care of these three kids. Granted, mm-hmm. two of them are older and just move continually move and just go forward. So uh, that's why I thought I felt a little bit of a similarity in regards to your mom. She just seemed like a tough woman that just grabbed the bull by the horns and just mm-hmm. kept going forward no matter what in her business and in her life. Now, do you think your mom after this 
you know, happens is, um, is she more protective of you guys and more nervous? Like, you know, because that, that's such a shock, obviously for you to, and for her, for someone to walk out the door in the morning yeah, and then not return. And so now, you know, I, I would, I would equate that to similar to like the Kobe Bryant thing. You know, like your mom is was in the same position basically as his wife is now. Yeah. And I just wonder how someone handles that. And like, how did you even handle that? Like, do you think your mom changed? No, that's the thing. I don't think she changed. No, I think my mom is just a very – she's a survivor. Okay. And she's just – she's very – what I learned from this, you know, I, I always, you know, thought about this and would love to have a mom like this and – Turns out, yeah, she she was the same person, but in a sense, she's always just had it in her. That's just who she was. And I mm-hmm. think anything she did in life kind of had a similar thing. And in regards to her being like more concerned about, I just lost my husband. I'm really going to like really protect my kids. I think she was always like that. She was always, you know, you go outside, wash your hands, nervous type kind of thing. And she's still like that. But she didn't change. No, she's just an incredible adapter and she's just incredibly strong. So she just... I think she just just went forward. That's all yeah. she did. She knew that's all you can. What can you do? So it's like when you ask, she just picked up the pieces and that's it. And like, but it's interesting because I was blessed that I had a mother that went that direction because I've heard stories of people in my life and I've seen it anecdotally of a sense that some parents go the wrong way. And then I've heard that from close friends yeah. of a mother that didn't really go the right direction, and you know, it, it left a lot of the cards on the on the responsibility of the kids. So. um I don't know what the right answer is or what direction to go or how you're supposed to handle it. I just know my mom handled it in an incredible way. And there's a reason why I'm so confident about the situation mm-hmm. right now. And I believe where I am at with the mental space and all that is because of the way she handled it. But uh, I think it go both ways. You know, sometimes if you grow, if you move too fast, it doesn't give you a proper time to let it process. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I wonder if that really messed me up. Um, you know, growing up, I just know who I am today. So I don't know what got tweaked in my brain, but I wonder how much of maybe just pressing forward and not letting enough out affected me. Even though my mom was always pressing for me to communicate. That was just who I am. Mm -hmm. She always wanted me to express myself. My oldest sister was, you'll know what's up with her. She wears a heart and a sleeve. And then me and my middle sister are a lot more similar in a sense. I think we just keep it tight. Um, But no, I mean, me personally, I was at a younger age. So just the way she handled it, I, I couldn't be more thankful. Yeah, that's pretty cool. But it's back back to what I was saying, back to what you, you were saying in regards to you were in survivor mode moving forward. So when it did happen, did you feel like you had any times from the diagnosis to her to her passing of mourning? Do you ever felt like you let anything out or were you just like, a, you know, are we just a macho East Coast Italian? Like I feel like I am sometimes and don't let it out. I'm very emotional. Yeah. Like that's just, you know, I, like I, I'll cry like, I mean, when I was younger, I cried when Hulk Hogan lost his world championship belt to the Ultimate Warrior. I had a, That's a I, similar situation. I had a full meltdown. I was like, Dad, let me ask you a question. But like, if Hulk, if, if they fight again, like Hulk Hogan going to win, right? <laughs> I had a full fucking just meltdown. That's good. You know? That's yeah, good. Uh, so did you let it out? Like, yeah, you, you let it out. I let it out. Many times, even till this day, um, you know, be, when she passed, I, I didn't – the entire time that she was 
so-called in remission and then kind of went downhill in the later part of 16, 17 and obviously 18. Um, I never gave it thought that we were going to lose her. You never gave it thought that you were going to lose her? Never. In that four years, that three, four years that she was alive. It was just the last three months? It was just that last three months I just knew because she had not walked in like eight months. She was in the bed. It's just, it was just taking its toll. And um, generally a very positive outlook the entire time? I don't think it was always positive. I think it was more like we're not going to let anything beat us. It was kind of the – like how an athlete would go into a game. Even if you know you're outmatched, you still go, we're not going to lose. Of course, yeah. That's good. And so we kind of had that mentality and that thought process. uh, Including her? Your mom? uh, I I don't know necessarily. She did like a lot of denying. Like like even when she was – healthy for the year and a half, you know, really good. She would always say stuff like, Oh, they told me I had this. They, you know, it was, she handled it that way Hmm. by just constantly just mind over matter. My mom was always using that word. My mom would say stuff like mind over matter and pull yourself up by the bootstraps. That was her answer to everything. And if you, I was just going to say, if you had a headache or some other ailment, you take an Advil and you move on with your day and you don't fucking bitch about it. I'm surprised she didn't tell the doctor that, excuse me, this is not Advil. She, we told her, mom, the night before we had initially brought her to the hospital for the very first time, she was just slurring her speech and she couldn't cut her dinner. And she looked at us and she goes, I'll be fine. I just have to wash my hair. She just, that was, she was such a gamer. It was like almost like she could walk off anything. That's the cool part because you said it was the first time, you know, when you see your superhero get chipped on the shoulder, you don't expect it. But she maintained that same attitude. Even though she she was struck, you know, she she didn't give a shit. Yeah. She she didn't even believe she had anything. Do you think that was uh, I think a benefit to her of that mentality or do you think it kind of – That's, that's a hard – That's a tough – it's is a tough one between like mind over matter and you know, and then pushing it aside and, and not accepting it. Do you think she accepted it or do you think that was just part of her game? Was I don't it? think she ever accepted it. I don't think she ever accepted it. Um, I think there were moments where she had this uh, – like when she was getting the the treatment, the chemo treatments and stuff, she would say stuff like they're just poisoning me. They're just poison. Like she would oh, say wow. stuff like that. She goes, "They just poison me. That's what they're doing. They're ripping my my soul. Like stuff to that nature." But where does that come from? What do you think that is? My mom had a tough growing up, so I'll touch on that a little bit here. She was raised by her grandparents, my great-grandparents. Her mom was actually a rockette. Oh, no way. Yeah. Beautiful woman, rockette. Um, and I think when my mom was probably about five or six, she has an older brother as well who's two, three years older than her. My grandmother ends up getting MS, and she becomes confined to a wheelchair. Yeah. And... 
my grandmother, her mom, passed away when I was about five. And that was her best friend, my mom's best friend. And when she was younger, her father, when her mother got sick, her father left for California and never came back. Just left him? Just left him. He didn't want to deal with the illness. And so he left his two kids. And thank God for my great-grandparents because they were the ones that were like, we'll raise them. And we'll take care of our daughter who is now confined, confined to a wheelchair. So my mom had a lot of shit that just went on in her childhood and growing up. And then she ended up marrying my dad, who was really, really amazing to her and was also very kind to her mother, who was confined to a wheelchair. And my great grandparents, as they lived till about 95. I was like 14. And so my father was always bringing them to doctor's appointments and doing, and I think my mom was really attracted to that about my father. But then she marries him and he had a sister who was uh, addicted to drugs and she was dealing him out of the two family home that we lived in. And my mom was always fighting with his sister and then my grandparents and we were all living next to each other on this one block in Queens. And it was just like a war every week. And then finally, when I was about 18, they moved out to Long Island away from everybody. And my dad's business had problems and my mom was always picking up. This. So my mom was always picking up some type of piece. I mean, at a young age, she had to you know, pick it up by the bootstraps immediately. Five, six years old. So- Father left, goes to California. He's never coming back. Her mother's confined to a wheelchair. Beautiful woman who was a rockette. Oh, God, I can't imagine. That, that spectrum right there, that flip of the switch is wild. When you're, you know, when you're a rockette, you have to be athletic and do that. Crazy. Do that move, and to be confined to a wheelchair. Crazy. It's, I wonder what that does to you your mom's head space. You know what I mean? Being but, that young, to have a father leave, that happens to your mother. What the fuck do you think? I think it did such a number on my mom. And my, my mom has always said, I'm so grateful for Nana and Papa, my great-grandparents. She goes, they protected me and gave me a great upbringing and home. And, um, But I think my mom dealt with a lot of shit from childhood of seeing her father walk out and never come back. And her mom being confined to that wheelchair and then my dad's family and then the illness and she just never addressed it. My mom never addressed it. She never talked about it. She just said, I'm going to make a better life for my family. Yeah, that, that, that's – I wonder about that aspect and that, you know, that um, – Wasn't healthy. Yeah, I mean it's it's crazy because she still made a life. You know I mean? She, she was successful. Great life. Raised great kids. We had a great childhood. That just makes you think. I wonder what – you know, that's – what's underneath there – that's not released because in my opinion, you know, when you don't let things out, that shit, whether you might even, you might be so numb to it, that you don't even realize the number is doing on you. I think there's three major things in my mom's life that I would point her disease to. Now, it could have been from any, anything. But this is Gary's WebMD. But my mom was always stressed. Mm. She was always stressed about keeping her business great. She was always stressed about keeping everybody afloat. 
she was always stressed um in in her live in our living situation for the first 18 years of my life was a very stressful always a lot of fighting in the family and then there was arguments between her and my dad because of it and other things and him losing his business and then you go back to her childhood yeah. with the father thing and her mom dying you know and being in a wheelchair and it was there was no my mom never gave herself a chance to chill she would go to the beach for a day and then would she keep it all in she she kept a lot of it in she just took like i said she said i have responsibility to do what i have to do and that's the woman i'm gonna be it's, it's definitely an old school mentality too i mean there's plenty mm -hmm. of people i know plenty of people like that as well but i especially i feel like where we were you know you grew up in new york new york jersey new york for me um there is that is it pride not really. It's an East Coast thing. It's an East Coast thing. That because is an East Coast thing. I feel like most people out here on the West Coast, they go talk to people. Yeah. You, like they, ha they have a therapist and they're like, I have a therapist and, and uh, you know, I do this and I do that. And I have, uh, you know, these day trips I go on where I meditate and whatever. Like people are outward. It is a thing on the East Coast, and I don't know if maybe you've lived this a lot, and I've seen it a lot in my friends and stuff like that, showing any kind of weakness, it, it they just don't want to do it. They don't. They would bite the bullet and they'd rather just keep it stern and then bottle it all up. That's it. Like, if you told my mom, go see someone, she'd be like, that's for crazy people. Like, that's... Sure, that is, that is very much where we're from. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it's, I don't know if you could speak like to date. I feel like it's a different era now, but still, I think there's my my East a lot of East Coast people that I know definitely have that, and it's I think I was kind of like that too growing up. To be honest, I was I think I've, I, I'm like that I think now. I've softened up. Come to the West Coast, made me a little bit of a pussy, but other than that, you never lose it. I'm, <laughs> you never I, lose it. You never lose it because I'm like that now. Yeah, yeah. Like this shit, I'm just like I let's just keep going. Yeah, same. You know, Same. and these are things that people would go and talk to their therapist about or whatever. But like my whole mom thing and, uh, you know, that that has really affected me. And I just I just say, you know what, I got to keep doing what I got to do. And that's why I was when I mentioned how my mom just like we push things forward, kept going. But mm -hmm. I, I have learned that there is a I think everything in my opinion, everything in moderation. So it's kind of like you got to find that balance of, yeah, keep pushing through, but you can't ignore the what you feel because that thing is just like a snowball going down a hill you can't ignore it no matter man woman whatever you are you can't let it just build up because it's going to come out one way or another and, it's, and it might not be good you that's 100 percent. i'm in agreement with you because my mom keeping all of that shit in is just poison yeah it's poison at some point you gotta take time for yourself Yep. You got to take time for your own mental health. Like that's the shit that Italians on the East Coast don't understand at all. Like taking care of their mind. Yeah. Like they're just of that school like, ah, I got a broken ankle, but I got this job I got to do. You know, like they're just, you know. <laughs> yeah. And you tell them, why don't you stay home? Stay home. Who stays home? What men stay it's, home? What men stay home? What men? So true. What, who, what, you know. Meanwhile, when I do business with people on the West Coast, God bless their soul. Yeah. 
I like text so I text I've texted agents and they didn't get back to me for like a, a day later, which I mean happens, whatever I guess. And then they text me back like, "Sorry, I was sick. I couldn't get back to you." I'm like, I'm like "You couldn't send me a text? Like, what, uh, yeah. what the fuck? Like, what? Yeah, back east. Yeah. Oh it's, no, it's, it's you'd be bleeding from the skull. That was just a flesh wound. We're good. Yeah." They can smash their face against the pole. Like, hey, you know what? I'm gonna go home. And, that, and that's the beauty I think coming out here is taking uh taking both schools of thought. I think like right, you know, sometimes you can go a little too woo-woo, and then sometimes you'll be a little too hard-headed. So that's you gotta go right down the middle. Right down the middle, man. That's the sweet spot. And I'm happy, you know. I, I think going from the east coast to the west coast is a good is a good direction. Going west to east, in my opinion, that's like a shocker in my oh. they both are a shocker in a I think it's harder going the other way. You think it's harder going from West Coast to East? Yeah. I, I would imagine. I don't know that personally, but yeah. I would think coming from there to here, it's like kind of going downhill as opposed to going uphill, I think. Now, my wife, when we were dating, we moved. she moved to New York with me for three years, and she loved it because mm-hmm. she said to me, there's so much culture. Okay. And there's so much like, you know, so much love, like just – and she comes from a, a wonderful family. I'm very close to her family, and they're all amazingly close, fun people. Um, the, the East Coast is – let's just put it this way. Me coming out here, I have done things that my parents haven't done in their lifetime, like routinely see a doctor. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah, no, yeah. I get it. I get it. Tr- routinely see a dentist. Oh, I mean, but that, th- these were just speaks, things that says a lot. It says a lot in regards to just, just brush it off. Let's, you you yeah. deal with it. I think that's mm-hmm. the thing is you deal with it. And by saying you deal with it, I so I think a lot of people take it as just bury it down. And that's today. That's not that's not the way to do it. And that's the thing is like, you know, um, but that's that hard old school mentality. You just they're warriors. It's yeah. it's it's like, guys, this is not the Roman Empire. Like, <laughs> it's okay to feel it's yes it's okay to just you know take care of yourself and take Mm. some time and enjoy yourself and i i really uh, forever and ever for the rest of my life i will be convinced that that was the thing it was just this constant stress just every day i gotta do this i gotta do that i gotta get this done i gotta take care of my kids so since you were raised in the east coast with that you know that roman warrior mentality were you always this cognitive of, of what you just t- explained to me, or do you think was there any uh, reflection upon believing that possibly the disease was brought up from your mom kind of repressing things? Did you were you always that open to like no feeling shit? My wife has helped me. I mean, and she's from out here, right? She's out here, right? But my wife, you know, we've been together six years, and she has literally, uh, you know been remarkable in that she has been like you're gonna do this you're gonna take care of this and there's gonna you're gonna do it differently in regards to just taking care of yourself taking care of myself taking time to enjoy you know moments and things um and i'm very appreciative of that because it was just constant go from my my parents just they were just if I felt like they were just always fighting fires. Like mm-hmm. that was the type of deal. Yeah. And and on top of that, we still had this amazing childhood. Yeah. We had this amazing uh upbringing, you yeah. know, and my mom made things special and so emotional and love and just but 
I mean, her f- your foot could fall off, and she'd be like, "I'll drive with the left." It's like, it, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah, what a, are we take doing? A break, relax a little bit. What do you do? Like, it would, she would do these things. Like, are you sick? And you go, eh, maybe you're gonna go to. You want to go to the hospital? Is that what you want to do? Do you want to go to the? Do you want to go to the? Ho- do you want to go to the hospital? You know, and I would go. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> I could have been fucking dead. It just was like that. Nah. I remember me and my mom. Oh, mom, if you listen, I love you so much. You, uh, <laughs> she, I, I, the first time I broke something in my body at the time, it didn't, she didn't think it was anything. But I remember very quickly, I just, I had a play at the plate in baseball through the, through the guy out at home. And I, my arm just like, I heard a snap. I was like, oh, that's not mm-hmm. good. And I go home. I was like, wow, I think my elbow really hurts. Like, nah, you're good. Just, just don't worry. I think she, actually, I don't, she's not a believer in the Advil. Ironically, she's yeah. like, don't touch that shit. Um, but she's like, no, nah, you're good. Don't worry about it. And I think maybe the next day I was like, Mom, my arm really hurts. End up being fractured. Yes. <laughs> like, uh, but that's you know. how they are. Yeah, it's funny. Well, I have a similar story. I played a lot of baseball growing up and through the summer and whatnot. And I remember I had slid into third base. And it was a third base that was nailed into the ground. It was stationary. Ooh, yeah. So I slid into it a little too close and ended up kind of jamming my ankle, twisting it a little bit. And uh, I was like, gosh, I was like grimacing. I was probably nine, ten. Mm-hmm. I'll never forget. My mother comes over to the chain link fence and she goes, Gary. And I'm like, what? And she's like, are you hurt? And I go, and she's like, are you hurt? And I'm like, um, and she goes, you have two choices. Either you keep playing or we go to the doctor. But she said the doctor and kind of like you'll be a pansy. Is that where you want to go? Yeah. <laughs> is that is that the route you're gonna take yeah. today? And I'm like, nah. I'm good. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and that's how you. There's a good. At the same time, I think once again, balance, balance, balance. But it's also teaches. It's good to be tough. You have to. It's good to be tough. So that's why I love that. I love that mentality. That's why I was yeah. raised with that, and I have that in me. But I've gotten better. I've gotten better at realizing. You know, sometimes you gotta you gotta take a seat. So I think that's a good. You got to address shit in your life like you have to you just have to take care of yourself yeah uh and and i think the mental uh aspect of it is the biggest thing that people ignore Mm. you know like people go to the gym five days a week but they're fucking deranged yeah and you go that's a part of this you know yeah that's a really good point it's a really good point i think uh people forget or just don't even understand how it's kind of this psychosomatic aspect of it. it's just body, but it starts up here. I mean, literally, if you don't have that, you're done. Literally. I mean, literally you're done. If you have that, what the hell are you? You, you just, if your own well-being, mental well-being is, is not in check. Yeah. You can't do anything. But you I'm can't a, build a business. You can't do anything. I mean, I'm, I'm a, I'm on your page in regards to thinking of a doctor, but you have, you live life with so much stress. Um, I mean, your body doesn't know the difference. If you're thinking about it constantly, your body thinks it's happening right now. Mm-hmm. And that's putting literal stress in your body. Yeah. And I mean, that's how most diseases start is from stress. Yeah. From my understanding of it, from that's, my layman's that's... terms, understanding of it, stress is a real fucking thing. And a lot of people, like growing up, used to think it's like, oh, it's hereditary, it's this and that, which there's ex- exceptions to that, of course. But a lot of it is just what we're just building in our head and why it's so important to just let things out. And it seems so nominal, but just literally talking about it. You don't have to – some people are like, I don't even know how to talk about it. You just literally just talk about it. Whatever the hell you're talking about, that's a, that's a relief. And that could, that could add years to your life. And that was a thing I think from my mom was she never talked about it with anyone. And then as her kids got older, she talked about it with us. 
Talking about what exactly? Well, she would be like, oh, you know, your dad and this, you know, oh, like right, stuff right, like right. that. Same. Yeah, I understand. Uh, yeah. Or, you know, my father and mm. all the shit that bothered her, she would talk to us because she could have an adult conversation. Right. Um, but that wasn't really addressing it either. Right. That was more just like, which is okay to do is the venting part of it. But there's a lot more to it when you have to overcome shit. Yep. You know, you can only suppress it or vent about it for so long and then you actually have to do something about it. Right. Otherwise, it swallows you. Yeah, I think a big step is just not denying it. That's you the hardest times, part. You know, you know how many times we lie to – it's a weird thing that we lie to ourselves. Think about that. Like I understand maybe certain situations get to bullshit someone else in the right in the right way. But at the same time, like, what the hell are we doing bullshitting ourselves? Literally, just an internal conversation. Why are we bullshitting ourselves? It's crazy. There's a comedian uh, – her name is Jessica Kirsten. She's actually hilarious. And uh, she she talks about how she lies to herself. She goes, I've been on Weight Watchers for about three months now. And she, she goes, they give me this form that I have to fill out at the beginning of each week. And I have to write down calorie intake or what I ate. She goes, I had three ice cream sandwiches. She goes, but I convinced myself to write one. What is that? It's because we don't actually want to believe, I think, what the reality is. And I think there's a fine line between that too because ignorance is bliss. I get that. But at the same time, I don't know. It's a double-edged sword there because I wonder if maybe, oh. maybe it works. Because like fake it till you make it. Yeah, that the trick in your mind works. But I don't know. that If you don't do it the right way, I don't know if it does. Well, there's – you know, like when someone becomes 600 pounds, mm-hmm. like – at some point, you're just lying to yourself. At some point, you you know the road you're going down. You have to have a come to God moment in something. Come to God moment, yeah. Where like, hey, shit's not working out right. Yeah, and I wonder – I feel like – I think deep down we all know what we're supposed to do. And then when one of, the, our, when one of our decisions is hard, like for instance, if you're trying to lose weight, you're trying, if you're trying to lose weight, it's not easy to lose weight if you want to lose weight. And it's much easier just to like eat that shitty thing and lie to yourself about it being okay and convincing yourself it's okay when you know it's not. So I wonder if the lying to ourself is just a way of just taking the easy route. I also think a lot of life uh, events can make you suppress things. Yeah, you're right. So for instance, like, you know, somebody goes through a hardship. And then they go to some therapist who puts them on a prescription medication. They now become dependent on that prescription medication. Mm. And now every time there's a challenge that happens in their life or there's a stress that comes up in their life, they turn to that. Right. So there's a very slippery slope in everything. And it's the same thing with alcohol and food and what all of these other things. Mm. So like I, I think that's why for me – um in my life, what I try to do is is have an, as best a balance as I possibly can. Not always easy because I'm yeah. thinking about a thousand different things. But like my wife and my marriage is everything branches off from there. And that has helped me do the comedy because I have this stability in my house my wife, my relationship. And I have this stability with my family members. I have a good relationship with my brother and my sister and my dad. And I'm trying not to repeat the mistakes that my parents made. 
And um, that's such a big part of it is just having yourself checked in every category of your life. And it's hard, like you said, with a million things going through our heads. Yeah. But it's important. Right. It's important. And I think it's uh, it's really cool that you're actually aware of this shit. You know what I mean? I mean, a lot of people that aren't so reflective on it and just aware mm-hmm. of – it seems like you're covering those bases. So fast forward, how, it's been, how many years has it been since you went past two years or three? Next month, April 23rd is two years. Next month, so it's still pretty – that's not that long. Where are you today? Where's your head now? I'm actually good. I'm good because I, I think I have made mention to you this before. In my mind, you, you know your parents are going to eventually pass on. As you become an adult, you realize that. You know it's the inevitable. It's just how life works. And for me, like I said, my mom would be looking down on me going, don't worry about me. I'm good. You need to go and achieve what you want and go after what you want and have all of these things that you're you're after and live this full, beautiful life. Mm. So I know that in my head, my, I just, my mom was going to die. I just got cheated out of time. Yeah. You know, that's kind of how I compartmentalize it a little bit, you know, um, and I just know that she would want the best for us, her kids, and she would be pissed if there was if we were doing it any other way. Mm. She would be. I could. She's cursing right now if we weren't going after what we wanted. Yeah, she'd be like, "You." F- that would. We would become a disappointment. That's the blessing of having a mother like that. So with that, I say to myself, "You can't." You. I get emotional about it. You know, I'll have a morning here and there and a night here and there. I'll sit in a comedy club. I've had it before I've gone on stage. Why, I, just sadness? Or, yeah, yeah, I think about it. I go, fuck. Yeah. You know? Um, but she's given me a lot of strength. Like, she's always with me when I'm doing it. Like, I'm like, always like, just be with me, mom. Like, let's go get it. Do you catch yourself uh, talking about it? Like, do you have anything that is, what's, do you have a release? Or like, you're not, you're not, you don't find yourself burying anything, right? No. Good. I talk about how beautiful she was, what she meant to me. Like anytime I speak about her, I just – everything great is what I talk about and that makes me feel better. Like mm. the way she was, the way she treated us, how much she took care of her physical appearance, how great of a dresser she was. Like she was just all of those incredible uh, – incredible things. And I think the best way to honor her is just to become successful. And I mean that not just in a financial way, successful in your relationships, your friendships, you know, everything. And to me, I feel like it's a responsibility to her to make her proud in that regard. Yeah. You leveraged it. Yeah. Like for me, the most important thing above everything in my life is the dedication to my wife. Because like I said, that to me is giving me the stability to go chase this comedy, to go chase my business stuff, to to go do things with her. And while my parents were married forever, uh, you know, I don't always think that they kept each other first. 
Yeah. And so my mom, it was just a lot of things that, you know, they did so many great things, but there were so many things that they didn't do to take care of the things that were the, the infrastructure of them. Yeah. I wonder what that is that made you wise enough to see that and approve upon that because you see, I see often and not, you know, people almost imitate the same qualities yeah. that are not bad. This is the way it's just, it's life sometimes. So it's interesting and super impressive. If you ask me that you're actually reflecting on that and applying it in that direction. Cause I, I wonder how many people um, that don't have a mother or a father that took it the same way as your mom. You know what I mean? Like there was love there, but some people handled the end of their life and not in the smoothest way possible. Mm-hmm. So to not have the same motivation that you had, I just wonder where life would go. And I think that about me too. Like if I didn't have a mom that kept it so upbeat and got to move forward, I wonder if I still would have taken that upward path. Like mm-hmm. I, 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 drive, I feel like I drive, try to drive forward in life and keep moving positively because of my mom. But I wonder, you know, if, uh, if I lost someone that didn't push you so much or have that leverage from someone as powerful as your mom, how the hell they do it. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's, it's really, you know, I, I, I also think it's a little, you inherit some, some of it it's in you. Yeah. Uh, because you have to have that switch that says, okay, well, you know, the shit has hit the fan here and you just got to keep moving. You know, I actually think the Kobe Bryant thing is actually a, a testament to that. You know, that's a, that's an individual who faced a lot of shit throughout his career and just kept going. No matter what. No matter what. Mm. You know, you blow out your Achilles, you go do the rehab, you come back. You lose Shaq as your teammate and you go, you know what, I can do this on my own. I get some other players and I can make it happen. It's this constant moving forward and – you know, I, I think that was what my mom would want me to do. Mm. So that's why I do it. And the best way, like I said, to honor her is to just become successful in the categories of, of, of my life. It's you perfect. know, there, there was things as a, um, my parents did a lot of great things and there's a lot of things I look up to them and go, man, they were, they were awesome. And there's a lot of shit that I go, eh, that wasn't, I would do it differently. Mm. And so that's what I'm trying to do is the things that they didn't do great. I'm trying to do well, but it's not, no one's perfect. And we all know. Yeah, I mean, you're tweaking the wires, you're tightening the screws and it's good to see that. I mean, yeah. like I said, two years is not very long. So, uh, you know, to actually, I mean, it's been two years, but you know, you had that, it was even beyond that. So it's, yeah. been, it's been a long journey for you, but just to see the fact that you're able to see it like that, put it in your literally everything you do, it seems like you're literally channeling the path and the energy that she developed into your relationship, your friends, your work, comedy, all that shit. So, I mean, I think just, and even the Kobe Bryant thing just represents resilience. So I think think we're all way more resilient than we need, but you know, every, it's just harder for different people and it's not easy. It wasn't easy for me or you, but I just think it's more more possible than people think. Well, you, you have made mention that uh, it, it that time in your life when you lost your dad, it was a whirlwind. Yeah. So you didn't really. At what point or what age do you think you got? You, you kind of wrapped your mind around it. I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's definitely as I got older. I just you know you just get more wiser. You just figure things out. And I was twelve years old. I was a kid. So 
maybe, who knows, maybe it was on the time I moved to California. I just knew I had to figure things out. I just wanted to get out and I just mm-hmm. wanted to live my life, but it was contradictory. And it's just, I wanted to be by my family, but I just had this weird urge to just, you know, real, I'd realize that life's at any second, our lights can go out. It's all pretty fragile. So, um, we might as well just do shit while we're here. Well, it's a testament to your mom and your dad that like here you are okay in life. Yeah, pretty good. You moved <laughs> across the country. You started a whole new life. Mm. You're building a business. Like those are all things that your parents are proud of. Yeah. And that your dad would want you to do. Yeah. It just, it just, it just, you know, I, I guess I, I was blessed with a lot of people behind me. So it just frustrates me when, you know, I hear stories of people that don't have that support. You know what I mean? So it's like, I can't speak on how hard it is to get through certain situations in life that I can't relate to. Yeah. Eh? But there's a lot of people that lose someone don't didn't have a perfect relationship, but there was still love there. There's people that don't have that support or didn't have a parent that, uh, you know, exemplified the best case of resilience like your mother did. And so I just, uh, that's why I'm so interested in talking to people that have all of all different walks of life and all different experiences to figure that out, how to relate a message to people to get through it when they don't have that, that I don't want to say that layup inspiration, but like my mom kind of like my mom really led the way. So I was, I can't imagine if she didn't, mm-hmm. how would I have gotten through it? Is that yeah. I mean, some people just have it in them, which I think we all have it in us. It's just, I wonder why some people tap into it and some don't. Well, I think also too, it's important, like your mom, uh, to have somebody consistently recognize it in you mm. and tell you you have it. Yeah. Or tell you you have the ability to go do the things that you want to do. Yeah. That's why I feel like I had a handicap in regards to yeah. uh, getting through it. Like she was, uh, she was pushing me forward. So, uh, but it's just, I, it's what I'm hoping people listen to your story, no matter what situation you're in, is just, just the fact that you're pulling really great things from it and, and going up, going forward. I'm hoping that's what other people can apply, mm-hmm. you know, even to my own knowledge and lesson here. But I think it's just really important that anyone is listening to just listen with the frig you're saying. I said frig because I've been cursed. I've, I, I realize I curse a lot. Mm-hmm. I also don't give a shit. So I probably did that like seven or eight times. I think you did it in like one story. I was like, I, I can't, there's no, especially talking to someone from the East coast. It's, I can't keep it. There's no way I can possibly restrain myself. So I, I mentioned another episode. It's just, sorry guys, my podcast is who the hell I am. So deal with it. Um, well, People on the West Coast, for the most part, don't really curse. It's like almost like a bomb went off when you say something. I like, see it in people's face. Yeah, I'm like, Shh, I, I know you, I got to adapt to the scenario, the situation. So I get, I get it. You got to adapt to the audience. We use it as an adjective, exactly, and it can mean everything. <laughs> yeah, right. Like you had a new kid. Oh, nice fucking kid. Yeah. God, God bless. God bless. God bless. You get a new car. Fucking car is nice. Right. Fucking hey. Right. Look at it. Exactly. At it. It's not. It's only a disrespect. You'll know it's when not, it's disrespectful. Yeah. You'll know. It so, comes across a very different tone. Listen, I'm not trying to curse. I don't curse in front of kids and all that crap. I get that. They'll figure it out on their own. But I don't know what the hell I was getting off here. But I, my main point was I just like the fact and I love the fact. I respect the fact. I'm, I don't know you that long, but proud of the fact that you're able to just to pull all those positive things and and tweak things and tighten certain gears in your life and use it to your benefit. And that's what I'm hoping that people can do and just not go to the wrong path. And you're just a perfect example of how you did it. I and appreciate it. So that. two years in too. So I'm, I, things evolve. It's going to change. Yeah. Like, as the years go by, I'm, I, I'm looking forward to speaking to you. The more our friendship grows and just 
you know, you're going to evolve. You're going to learn mm-hmm. even more. I'm going to continue. I continue to learn things eight year, 18 years down the yeah. road. So that's part of the process. Well, I, I think. think also too, what's important that a lot of people don't recognize is you, you're responsible for yourself and you owe it to yourself to make your life good. What do you, what, in your opinion, because I, I agree, why Why do you, how would you explain that to someone who's just completely in the shitter and say, you owe it to yourself? And what if someone just says to you, yeah, but I just lost everything. Why do I still owe that to myself? What is there? You know what I mean? Like when people yeah, get to that's a dark a hard, place, I don't know what to, I don't, I don't know what to say. That's a, I Crack can't a speak to that. Yeah. I can't speak to that because there are people who have suffered uh, insurmountable loss. And, um, you know, I, that's a hard thing to tell. Yeah, I, I, don't I don't know the answer, but you have two choices. You can either make your life great and have this, just a lot of beautiful stuff in your life and friendships and relationships and all of that, or you can go the other way and that's going to be very painful. Like you're going to deal with the pain now. I mean, I think that's really a big thing with losing everything or whatever the situation is now. Mm. But you could look at it from a point where, okay, I'm at the bottom. I can't get worse. Yeah. It can only go better. And I'm going to try because I owe it to me. Like I think you have to have tremendous self-respect. Right. And I think that's where people just go downhill is they lose this respect for themselves. Yeah. I, I can I can understand that. And I think it's also – I think we also have a lot more power to change things than we think. And that's another thing back to this whole East Coast, West Coast war. I think there's a – back of the East Coast is, a, is a, a narrow tunnel people think. And I think we have the the ability just to control what we have inside that's going to affect our outer world more yeah. than we think. And it just goes back to what the hell is going on in here. Um, so I think when people get into a dark place and a deep place, they think – it just feels like there's no way out. But I'm a true believer in – you know, situations I can't relate to, but no matter what, there is always a way out. So there's always a way out. And I think also too, the major thing in anything is never to look at like the end game, Hmm. meaning, uh, like if you want to be a comedian, right. And your ultimate goal is to like do Madison square garden or the staple, whatever, a theater. And you're at the beginning stages of it and you're like performing to four people in a room. Yeah. You should have it in the back of your mind. That's where I want to be. Yep. But you really need to focus on the now. I agree. And tomorrow. Because you're not going from here to there overnight. Right. It's, it's not happening. But if you go, all right, you just take it in chunks, weeks, months, hmm. and say, okay, so I was January, I was here, December, I got 300 uh, Mike slash shows that I did this year. Yeah. X amount of hours. Now we move on to the next year. Yeah. And, and you just slowly do it. And I, I do believe you get a lot of enjoyment at, out of the, I hate using the word process cause everybody uses that, but the ride. Yeah. You, the, you get a little vic, the little victories matter. We're yeah. always looking at like, okay, I'm not going to be happy till I get there. But then I think about that too in my life in a sense that like, you know, I've been in LA for nine years now and I think, you know, I've in my head, I'm like, should I have so much more I want to do and accomplish? But then I think when I, I pause for a second, be where I am now and think about where I was, it's like, okay, that's actually a big step. So as long as there, as long as there's that progress, 
I think it's, that's why it's important to check in with yourself once in a while, like yeah. you're saying. So it's, it's it's a really good point that you're making. And those little steps, it's like we don't go focus on being a mile down the road. Just take a couple steps. Next thing you know, you're halfway there. Because so it like, literally becomes fucking overwhelming. If, you are, if you're just looking at the end game. Mm-hmm. You're like, okay, I, I want to live in Bel Air, right? But I'm where I am now. And it's just like, all right, there's a whole slew of yeah. steps that are going to have to happen here for you to end up at that point. Yep. So know that that's the goal. Yeah. That's a cool thing. Yeah, it's a good point. But people who are like, I got to, I got to, I got to do this. I go, just do tomorrow. Yeah. And it relates perfect to anyone that's, if you are in a dark place, whether it has to do with death or not, it's not, you're not going to, it's going to be better overnight. It's like, it's a gradual process, but slowly but surely, you do it. You just got to just take this and surround and yourself with it. good people. One hundred percent. That's you end up being. You end up like the people you're around. That's just the reality of what yeah. life is. So that's why this is the last time I'll hang out with you. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm but, glad we did it the second time. So uh, I think it's still recording. We don't have to do this a third time. Um, I'm sick of you already. Um, <laughs> <laughs> says they you talk shit with this guy. That's why it's great to talk to him. Uh, but no, Gary, I, I just I really want to thank you again for doing my this. pleasure, man. Um, this is awesome. You know, I'm, I don't think you need me to say this, but I know your mother's proud of you. And, Appreciate uh, it. You got a lot more. I know you got, you're going to accomplish. I look forward to seeing you that journey. And I know you already got a taste how funny this damn guy is, but uh, check him out on Instagram at Gary Lelly Comedy. And uh, you got to check him out and see one of his shows because he's brilliant. Thank um, you, brother. So once again, my man, thank you. And cheers with another Arnold Palmer here. There it is. All right, y'all. Peace. So wake uh, another week from now, we'll get another episode of Dead Talks. In the meantime, peace out. That was awesome. Yeah, that was fun.